0: It's not Luke chapter 2 yet, sorry. I really wanted it to be, but it's not. And uh, We're going to deal with one of my favorite characters from the Nativity. This character is in every Nativity, but he's actually not mentioned in any of the accounts of the Nativity in the Bible. We just logically assume he would be there. And we will find the, the instance where uh, this character shows up. And the, simp- the simple message of this morning is, let us adore. Matthew chapter 21. I was looking at the reading list on the fridge and having my weekly freak out session with my brain because it likes to flip where we are and and looking at it on a calendar, logically if we're ending on the last Sunday of the year, we're, this is where we should be. And I, I was really excited because this is where, where I spent a lot of time this week in the Bible because uh, just looking at it and and the, the recognition of, of my favorite character outside of Jesus Jesus is obvious the favorite, but my favorite character in the nativity scenes everywhere. And anytime I walk by one that has movable pieces, uh, I have this horrible tendency to move this character. OK? So if, if you're the person who sets up our nativity scene and you keep wondering why this certain piece keeps gravitating closer to Jesus, that's me. I, I used to drive our, our pastor's wife at Stillwater crazy because I would do this and they could never figure out who it was. But <clears throat> chapter 21 says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. Okay, so anytime you walk by a nativity scene that I've been by, you will see that the donkey is in between Mary and Joseph with his face looking right into the manger. Because if he really did haul Mary there, he had the right to see why that load was so heavy. Okay, He really did. And <clears throat> the donkey is a humble beast of burden. Sadly, it's uh, politically affiliated now, even though I, I think that's a different name. Uh, that's, that's not his, you know. That's more the King James donkey name, OK? <laughs> but <clears throat> we, we won't go into the political things, because uh, <clears throat> why you would choose an elephant, I don't know either, unless you're from Hindu culture, but uh, anyway Uh, and back to you know quick sidebar politics Polly meaning many ticks blood-sucking vermin, okay, (laughs) so we'll stay out of politics this morning, but Jesus is telling his disciples to go get this donkey and its colt and And this is taking place according to verse 4 to fulfill the prophecy that says, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. That comes to us from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And that verse reads like this. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And if you spend the time to to research and and understand more of the culture of that day, uh, riding in on a donkey was not only a a symbol of humility, but it was a, a symbol of a king who had conquered who was declaring peace in the land. And it was really hard not to jump to this when we did that, that sermon a few weeks ago about peace on earth. But we, we saved it for this purpose. Uh, the king who rides in declaring peace. Understand, this was before we get to see anything in Scripture of Jesus conquering sin. Conquering death, conquering hell and the grave. But before we see any of that, he's writing in, making a declaration of it. This is one of the, the greatest pre fight speeches of all time. Because Jesus knew who he was in and out of the existence of time. Jesus knew going into Jerusalem, he was the conquering king who was bringing peace. He didn't ride in on a white stallion with a sword coming to to end a battle. Now, the next time he comes, according to the book of Revelation, that's exactly how he's coming. He's coming to end it. Which... It, it it so blows my mind because in human thinking, this is all backwards. He should have just came on the white horse the first time and ended it. But if he ended it there, how many of us would spend eternity with him? He came in the right order at the right time. He came, and, and, and I, I want you to understand that this... This is going to mirror right back to what we see in the manger. That Jesus never came with the the worldview of, look at me, look how great I am. He never once tried to draw attention to himself. He said, the whole reason he goes he sends his disciples to get this donkey so that he can ride into Jerusalem as a king in a time of peace offering the the biggest show of humility available you know how many real kings ride donkeys anywhere think of the fairy tales you grew up with did any king in a fairy tale or prince charming go riding out on his mighty burrow it doesn't fit Jesus' whole thing here is, I'm fulfilling prophecy because in Zechariah, in the prophecy that came from the Lord, I had to ride a donkey in. Or I get to ride a donkey in because if you ever ride a donkey, they're kind of fun until they decide they're not going to go anywhere. Donkey basketball needs to come back to this area. Somebody make that happen. Donkey basketball, and my daughter is looking at my wife like, what is that? Okay, I'm just saying, donkey basketball. We probably can't do it at Laverne. They spent way too much money on that floor. But, hey, we could have it here at GATE. Fundraiser. <laughs> and I'm getting some looks, so we're moving on. Ah. Uh, The disciples did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey colt to him, and they threw their garments over the, over the colt, and he sat on it. And most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise to God in the highest. And I want you to understand there's other accounts of this same moment where they're, they're shouting Hosanna. Uh, in Hebrew it's Hashanah. And, and that is a cry of save us now. Which it's, it's almost sad when you look at it because they didn't understand. They're, they're crying out before a king who's declaring he's coming in peace. They're, they're throwing you know their clothes, they're taking their outer robe off and lining the streets with it. And in that day, your outer garment that you wore was your identity to the world. If you go back and, and find the account of a blind beggar that is healed, I want to say this happens in Acts. He, the first thing he does after he gets healed is he throws off his garment. Because that garment was his identity, and it allowed him to be a beggar. He wore a specific garment that said, I'm a beggar, and he throws off that garment. And that is true throughout the culture of the day. If you were a priest, you wore a priestly robe. And you can go person by person, and you identify them by their outer garment. So they're taking their identity and putting it under the feet of this donkey that Jesus is writing. They're submitting their identity lower than the beast that is carrying the king. You want to know what it looks like to adore somebody? It's completely laid down your identity for them. And it goes a little little further because the, the ones that maybe didn't have any kind of status in life are the ones that aren't throwing their identity on the ground, but they're gonna go cut branches out of the trees. And, and we, we all get excited in Easter because that's Palm Sunday. Well, do you know what palm branches were used for in the Middle East in this time? And, and they still are in some places to this day. They, they were used for comfort. Get out of the hot sun, you sit under the palm tree where there's shade. So they're taking their comfort, what, what provided them comfort before, and they're laying it at the feet of the king. And it's not even the feet of the king at this point. It's this one of the most humble animals out there that is bearing the king. They're taking their comfort. And for other people, it was the very roof off of their house, their shelter and their security. And they're taking it and they're laying it at the feet of Jesus as he's coming into the city. You want a different definition of what it looks like to come let us adore him. The wise men always get the credit for they traveled all this way and they presented him expensive gifts. Do you know what? They were rich. Expensive gifts didn't cost them anything. The only thing the wise men really gave up for that trip was their time, which is a valuable resource. But if you look at the triumphal entry, this was a a physical representation of a spiritual concept that we need to grasp in this season where we take our identity, our comfort, what we put up as a shelter to our livelihood, and we lay it at the feet of Jesus, and we declare Him to be praised worthy, to praise God. And and another translation says, glory in the highest. What did the angels sing to the shepherds about Jesus? Glory to God in the highest. The, the, the thing that I'm, I'm seeing more and more this year, and I'm, I'm praising God for it every time that, that He just opens His Word, is that what you see in the Christmas story just keeps cycling back through the life of Jesus. The praise that the angels gave finally begins to come out of the mouths of people. Powerful moment there. The praise that the angels gave declaring his birth, the people finally began to declare just before his death. We as a church are called to declare them because of his resurrection. Glory to God in the highest. Do we find our identity in him? Do we find our real source of comfort in Him? Is He the one that we trust as our our shelter, as our provider? Or are we putting it in the things of this world that are barely worthy to be the road that His donkey travels on? There's some deep, tough stuff in this. But it's so beautiful at the same time. And Jesus continues on, and, and, and the entire city is in an uproar as he entered. And, and who is this, they ask. You know, I, I didn't, again, have any idea about the music this morning. And, and look how it turns out. What child is this? The the thing about Jesus, his whole life on earth, he left people scratching their head wondering, who is this? And, And at one point, he's even asking his disciples that question, who do people say that I am? And there's still a world out there today that when they're confronted with the nature of Jesus Christ through you, will ask that same question. Who is this? Who is this Jesus that that makes you love me when I'm unlovable? Who is this Jesus that, that compels you to give out of your abundance to meet my need? Who is this Jesus that allows you to walk through the darkest day of your life and you still have this peace about you? Who is this? And the crowds that were worshiping replied, it is Jesus. And they get, it, they get the rest of it kind of right. The prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Because they didn't know. I wonder if Peter, who knew, by, by this point, you know, Peter has made the declaration that you're the son of God. I wonder if Peter is trying to yell, no, it's the son of God. I wonder if his disciples, the, the rest of them who recognized this is a fulfillment of prophecy said, no, this is Messiah. He's not just a prophet. He's Messiah. I don't think they did. Because even though they were with him and they knew him, they hadn't found their identity in him yet. And if they had... And they do. They find their identity in Him after His resurrection. It finally comes together. And, and that's the thing about the story of Christmas is we have to tell the whole story. If we leave Jesus as a baby in a manger and we don't tell Him about how He lived a, a sinless life as a man and how He, he went to the least of these declaring the love of the Father, the acceptance of the Father, the, the place for them to belong. If we leave out that, that he went and he was striped for our healing, we're leaving out some of the biggest messages. Yes, it's miraculous that he was born to a virgin and laid in a manger. But that's not the Jesus I serve. That's just part of him. The Jesus I serve went to the whipping post for my healing. He was nailed to my cross so that I could be forgiven of sin. And He rose from the grave three days later. And then He stayed around just long enough so that people could see that He was really alive. And then right in front of some of the men who would write the under the influence of the Holy Spirit the New Testament to help us To know Him in an intimate way. He ascended into heaven. And He's sitting at the right hand of God. Just on the edge of His seat ready to come again. Because He's not going to come as a baby. I, I can picture it in my mind. You see the old westerns where the guy takes off running and just mounts up on his horse jumping off the ground. I mean cowboys in the old west had the best vertical leaps ever. I can see Jesus just looking through the throne room of heaven out towards wherever the stable is because they got horses. They're in Revelation. They got them. Can you imagine how Jesus, when when God the Father says it's time, I can see him sprinting through the halls of heaven to go get on his horse. And, and that horse is not going to get to walk. He's going to spur it, and here he comes. Part of me wishes it was a donkey he was coming back on. But he goes, into, he goes in, and we're going we're gonna to wrap this up this morning. I, I'm, I'm not going to be real long. Uh, he goes in, and he enters the temple, and he begins to drive out all the people who are buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The same Jesus wants to come into our temple. And in case you're, you're new to, to Christianity, the, the Bible's very clear that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That, that Jesus desires to sit on not only the throne of heaven, but the throne of your heart. And if, if we get nothing else out of this morning, when, when it comes time to adore Jesus, you're not adoring Jesus in heaven. You're adoring Jesus who wants to live in your heart. And if there's stuff in your heart, or in your life that is, is clogging that up, that's a table that needs tossed. If there's a priority that you put ahead of spending time in worshiping God, spending time in prayer, spending time letting Him speak to you through His Word, that's a money changer. That That's... That's where you've turned your relationship with God into a consumer relationship. And you were never called to be a consumer in the kingdom. You were never called to just buy and sell and and beg and plead in the Word of God. You You were called to be in the Word of God and let it produce things in your life. Let it produce action in your life, where you reach out and become the the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth, reaching out and meeting needs. You were called to be the voice of God, speaking into the life of other people. To at some point, it's just speaking courage into them. We're we're called to be an encourager, and that word means to put courage into. And sometimes, when people are struggling. They, they need someone to come alongside them and remind them of the truth of God's Word and that they are loved and they are valued and they were, they were paid a price for that's far beyond anything we could come up with. That God has a plan and a purpose for their life. If they woke up breathing today, it's because God has a purpose for them. And, and if they're willing to really invest the time and the talent and the resources God has given them then they can do almost anything for the kingdom of God, and that's potential. We as Christians need to get back to the point where we start making room in our life to worship, making room in our life to make this house a house of prayer. Because if it's anything else, it's never going to fulfill the full potential of who God made you to be if you're not making room in your life to praise God every day, if you're not making room in your life to come and adore the king of all eternity, you're never going to reach the potential God has for you to build his kingdom. And that's what we're called to do. We were made for one thing, and that was to bring glory to the God of the universe. And that looks different in the life of of every person, but it starts the same way. It starts with you coming and adoring Him, recognizing Him for who He is, and finding your identity in Him. A lot of people want to want to ask me, you know, who I am, and, and even as as little as probably three years ago, I might have said, Oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a coach. Or, or I'm a, a husband. Or I'm a father. The reality of it is, is I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian who is blessed with the opportunity to be a pastor. Who is blessed with the opportunity to be a coach. Blessed with the opportunity to be a husband and a father. And blessed with the opportunity to be able to play a little music every now and again, to do art every now and again, chase cattle every now and again, go fishing every now and again, play terrible golf every now and again. The things I do are not my identity, my identity is in Christ the apostle Paul wrote for me to live is Christ I can't help but wonder if, if Paul had got to walk with Jesus like Peter did how different Paul would be Paul got, Paul's one of the few people who got to see Jesus after he ascended to heaven if you read the account Jesus shows up and, and Paul will later say, I saw him. And, and he said, why do you persecute me? I want you to understand that we can see Jesus just as clearly as Paul did. We have the best description in all eternity of who Jesus is right here in his word. Tossing tables is simply eliminating anything that's keeping you from making yourself a house of prayer. This morning as we, as we go our separate ways, let us adore Him. And I know you know how to do it because there's something in your life you adore. Someone in your life you adore. I, I look, I'm very blessed that my kids are kind of scattered out this morning. Almost any direction I look, I get that feeling of man, I adore him. I adore her. And, and that's exactly how Jesus wants us to feel about him we adore him. Baby Jesus is easy to adore. Bloody beaten and dying on the cross, Jesus is a harder image to look at and to adore. But when I see Jesus on the cross, I see the most heroic act of eternity and I adore him. When I see Jesus walking out of the grave, I adore him. When I think about Jesus coming back on that white horse, I adore him. Glory to God in the highest. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for just a reminder that we're called to adore you. Lord, that the, the circumstances of our lives don't change who you are. There, there's nothing we could ever do that is, is bad enough that would change the fact that you died on the cross for our sins. There's nothing we can do, say, think, or imagine that will change the fact that you're sitting at the right hand of the Father and that you love us with an everlasting love. And you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The God who is rich in mercy and slow to anger and slow to wrath. And just like you were that baby in the manger, we're called to adore you as the hero on the cross, the victor walking out of the tomb and the the king who's sitting on the throne. God, thank you that this is a season for us to show the world that we adore you. Lord, to celebrate your birth, God, as we come back together this evening, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless our time of fellowship and that that our hearts would just be set on adoring you in the fullness of who you are. Lord, as we go our separate ways, let us adore you today. In Jesus' name, amen.